0: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, not part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Wendy Troubeau, and she's an author of a book called Dirty Girl, Joint Pain, Chronic Fatigue, Hair Loss, Eczema, and Plain Old Smelly Gas. Yes. The formal title is Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great, and Feel Freaking Amazing. Uh, she's also uh, part of the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She's in a residency doing that. So uh, lots to talk about. Wendy, thanks for coming. Hey, my pleasure. Good to be here. Yeah, tell me what uh, what interests you in the the residency you're in, and you know maybe a little bit of background on yourself, and then I uh, want to ask you about the book and again your residency as well.
2: Sure, I'm. I've been just for the record. I've been out of residency for a long time.
1: Oh, oh right. Like, okay.
2: No problem. No, I graduated in two thousand four. So a really long time.
1: Well, it's only been nineteen years. Whoops.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what do, what's a few gray hairs between nineteen years? Um, but
1: I. You're, you're, uh, you're a fully fledged practicing doctor for quite a while.
2: Totally. Yeah. I'm, nope. I, I'm on my second career and third career in medicine at this point. <laughs> So okay. but I did originally choose it because I loved taking care of women and I loved doing all the varied things that we do as OBGYN. So surgery, delivering babies, office work, uh, all of it was really appealing to me. I didn't want to be in the same place doing the same thing every day. And uh so I chose that really not recognizing that I had terrible adrenals and terrible resilience. Like I wasn't I'm I'm what I call strong like mouse. So there's some people you can they can abuse themselves. They can stay up all night. They can drink alcohol, eat cruddy food, not exercise, and they are happy. They are fine. Me, if I do that, I'm a hot flipping mess. And so I didn't know that when I went into OB. So that was a that was a mismatch. And so about five you know, years, eight, I left.
1: I was literally talking to my wife about this over lunch. Um, I said, you know, there's people exactly like you described, but it's not going to last forever. And At some point, they may have some serious health crisis. So don't be jealous of them that they seem like they're able to do that stuff because it affects everybody. No one escapes, you know, to completely. some.
2: yeah, my you know oh. it's my eleven year old last asked me last night. Was I glad that I had the physical issues I had? Like, had it made me a different person? And I said to her, "I'm not. Oh. I'm not glad." She's very deep. She's a really deep soul. And I said to her, "I'm not glad that I." have such sensitive celiac disease. That's I'm not psyched that it's difficult to eat out. But I am very grateful for the insight and the and the experiences that I've had. Because when patients say to me, whatever, right, like my gut's irritable, I have headaches, I have fatigue, my sex drive is terrible, I can't lose weight. I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I've eczema, I've been there. And I've gotten through it. And I've gotten over it. So I have a lot of sense of like experience and compassion, because I went through it too. And I know that they're going to get better. But yeah, I, it was such an interesting question that she asked me. So I don't, I don't rue it like, ah, oh, I wish I were. No, I'm really happy where I am. I would like to be less sensitive to gluten so that I could eat out more frequently. But on the other hand, that food's not so good for me. So I guess I'm kind of dodging a bullet.
1: Yeah. In a weird way, it's, a, you know, it's a, as they say, a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. The, definitely more towards the blessing side, the way you're in. So. Totally. So you're doing what standard obstetric practice right now? Do you clinical work or what are you doing?
2: No. So um, let's see. So back in, back in 2000 and uh, so I graduated residency in 2004. I did obstetrics and gynecology for five years. And that dovetailed with my husband opening up a functional medicine practice, which if you've not heard of functional medicine, functional medicine is essentially a root cause analysis for your health. Instead of saying, oh, here's the symptom let's find a medicine that will alleviate the symptom. Functional medicine says, okay, you have a symptom, let's find the underlying cause and fix the cause. So, you know, your your hypertension is not because you're deficient in some type of beta blocker or your headache is not a deficiency of Tylenol or Motrin. Or, uh, so it's, it's really looking for what's the root cause. So he opened that center in 2008 And in 2008, I had this epiphany like, oh, that's who I'm supposed to be. There's a lot of people who, you know, if you leave women alone, babies kind of deliver themselves, right? Just stay out of the way and don't mess it up. And then there's a lot of people with great surgical hands. And there's not a lot of people who are looking how to have you be vital, vibrant, healthy, able and interested in intimacy till you're 100 and that every decade gets better than the one before. There's not a lot of people taking that approach. And so I left... I gave you—it's know, a three-month lead. So I gave notice in November and then left in February and went into functional medicine full-time and have pretty much never looked back. So that's what I've been doing for the past 14 years.
1: Yeah, but what's the focus of your functional medicine? It sounds like mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's on women. Yeah,
2: it's women's health. It's women's health. Okay. I, I still only treat women, but it's—it's it's women. It's functional medicine for women, and I also do some gynecology, although it's—it's it's a lot more limited just because I focus more on functional medicine. But I don't do any surgery.
1: Well, right, okay. What what are some of the uh, the top issues that your your clients wrestle with that you advise them on?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's humanity, right? So we're all stressed. We all work too much. We're fatigued. We don't sleep that well. A lot of people have bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, reflux, or GERD. A lot of people have headaches, seasonal allergies. So the things that people deal with on a regular basis are a lot of the things that I'm dealing with. And then I have this particular specialty in toxins because of my own experience with having. Uh, having crossed my own unknown line in the sand for what my body could tolerate and had a toxic exposure and then got really sick.
1: Oh, what happened?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, I I didn't know that I was already teetering on the edge, right? So ignorance is bliss, knowledge is power, pick where you stand. But in, in 2018, I noticed that my hair started to thin and it was after I didn't, I didn't make this connection at the time, but it was right after my neighbor took our, his post-war home down. And it, it literally, you know, I live in Massachusetts. The homes are like on top of each other. And so when he took his home down, we got the uh, dust, the lead, the lead dust that I didn't know about at the time. But we got exposure to that. My hair started falling out. And I didn't know what the cause was. I'm like, I don't have any idea. Fast forward to April of 2019. We went on this amazing vacation. We spent a week in France and uh, we it was really dusty. I was like, what's going on here? You know, gosh, we're going to have to wash all of our shoes. It's that dusty. It's crazy dusty. And uh, the month after I came home, I my hair loss accelerated. Like I felt like I lost about half the hair on my head. And I gained about just under 10 pounds and had this rash on my face that I could not get rid of. Yeah. Mm. What is going on here? And because I have access to all this testing, you know, you can order tests on yourself. So of course I think, what does every human think when they gain weight and lose hair? They think my thyroid is off. Okay. No. So I checked my thyroid. It looked amazing. Never better. Okay. Then I was like, well, I'm, I'm 48, so I'll I'll check my hormones. Because maybe it's hormonal. And my hormones looked amazing. Uh So then I checked my gut because I'm a celiac and I had all this dysfunction. And my gut looks great. And now I'm really stumped. And I'm listening to the radio one day, and I hear that when Notre Dame burned, it released, excuse me, it released 500 tons of lead dust into the air. And I i looked at my husband, and I was like, we were there the week after Notre Dame burned, and we got that exposure. And I got sick right after we came back. So I did a lead test, and I, because I have all access to the testing, I had previously gotten a free test that I did, and... Uh, okay, doctors are bad patients. I blew off the results. I was like, well, you know, it's a little bit over positive. We treat at over eight and my level for lead was nine. And I was like, oh man, I don't think that's a big, little did I know. So I ignored it when I got it. And then I get, I get this information. I have these problems. Fast forward to doing the test. My lead level is now 12 and that got my attention, especially in light of how I felt and, and the things that were happening. So I, uh, I started treating and- what I didn't know that I do now know is that when you start to open up the detox pathways, you start to be able to move more out of your body. So I did this treatment.
1: That could cause additional and sudden symptomology and problems.
2: Well, as long as you're binding these toxins, it shouldn't. But but I figured, oh, one round of treatment, I'll be done. Easy peasy. So I do the treatment. First six weeks I feel like I've been run over by a truck. The next six weeks, I feel amazing. And I looked at my husband. I said, oh, you know, think, picture me doing a hair flip. My toxins, I think, are gone. I've gotten rid of my metals, but I'll finish the program so I know what the patients go through. This is what I said to my husband, like the peak of arrogance. And I do my post, post-protocol test, and my metals are way higher. And I was like, oh, oh,
1: crap. Before we continue... the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now, back to the show. Well, was it a blood test? Or- no.
2: like... No, it's a urine test. It's a provoked urine test. Because what happens with metals in particular, although all the toxins you do this is it's really toxic. So you don't let it your body doesn't let it just float around in your bloodstream, your body looks at it and goes, Okay, we're gonna store you. So lead preferentially goes to the bones. Um, The metals tend to get stored in the bones, the fat, the organs, the brain. And so as you ramp up detox, you start to pull it out. And uh, then as you ramp up detox you can actually see what's present. So the highest my lead went was about twenty-four, and the highest my mercury went was forty one, which are way
1: positive. Okay. So what happened then? You did the post protocol and what happened then?
2: I got the post protocol and, you know, had these elevated levels and I was like, okay, well we're doing this again. And so uh I've been it <laughs> turns out I had a lot of metals and I'm I'm loyal to them. You know, I have a hard time letting go of stuff. I have pretty crappy detox. I've tested my detox pathways, my methylation pathways genetically, and they stink. And so uh, so I have been working to get my metals down and I've gotten the lead is now at therapeutic levels, which is great. But the mercury, I'm really struggling with. I had mercury fillings for well over 40 years and every time if you want a silver filling, they're 50% mercury by weight. And every time you eat or drink or chew gum or chew on something, suck on a candy, brush your teeth, you release more mercury into your system. And well, I so- have
1: one of those, but I've been 37 years. I yep. thought that it would have leached out by now. I was afraid to get it taken out. because I didn't want to be in a sudden rush of more stuff, but I don't know what to do.
2: I know. Well, I, I had three left, and, and for many years I resisted it. I was like, ah, what are they doing? You know, it's, they've been there for forever. What are they doing? And, and I had a consult with the biologic dentist, and she said to me, look, it never stops off gas, ever. And, you know, it's so toxic that when we take it out, we can't even just throw it in the trash. You know, you, you can throw stuff in the trash if it's not, like, frankly, bloody. But she said, it's so toxic, we have to have a special, special uh, trash for it because it's toxic waste, truly toxic waste. And I was like, oh, crap, get them out. So uh, it, with a note for the listeners, if you're going to get this taken out, definitely do it with a biologic dentist. Do not go to the person who put it in. Go to someone who specializes in protecting you from the release of mercury that happens when you pull it out. You know, any good dentist who does this will give you binders. They'll give you, they'll recommend that you take charcoal. They'll have you taking chlorella, you know, and they'll give you oxygen to compete. They'll, um. they'll drape you. They'll drape themselves. Like a good, a good dentist is going to, or a biologic dentist will take it out. And so it is better for you long-term wow. to take it out.
1: Um, so well, the 50, you have to do all that really to do it right?
2: Yep. Yep. Because otherwise you're just getting a big fat exposure to mercury, which you, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, uh, the upside is you'll no longer have the filling, but the downside is you're getting a big fat exposure when you take it out. So yeah, definitely be careful when you take it out. Don't just go to the dentist because especially if you're teetering on the edge, like I was, it will make you very sick. And I really... I have to say I really took precautions when I got mine taken out. And I took an extra binder that day. I fasted. I took fiber. I took extra charcoal. I did chlorella. I mean, I did like a ton. I came and got an IV to bind the metals. I really did a lot of stuff. And I was still really sick. But here's what's really cool. Uh, I, I wear a whoop to track my recovery and my sleep and my performance. And my recovery, recovery meaning heart rate variability, And recovery from stressors. It was terrible for the next like two days. But after that, my recovery jumped up significantly. And I kind of thought to myself, oh, well, maybe it's just placebo, right? You get them taken out and you think, oh, well, I spent all this money, so it was a good thing. But my recovery, the heart rate variability, my body's ability to recover increased. And you can't fool the whoop. You can't placebo the whoop. You know, it's it's data. It's not for
1: you. What did you feel for the first two days? And then what happened?
2: The, the first day and the next day I and, and a little bit the third day, I felt really like just fatigued and and low key and, and kind of like, oh, but I slept and it didn't help. You know, I had it done on a Friday and I didn't work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By Monday, I was ready to go back to work. But the whole weekend I was like, God, I feel I really didn't feel well. Uh, and and you know part of it I still have high levels, so if you get your levels down and you're and I did it in the middle of a detox, but if you can get your levels down and then and then have it removed you you shouldn't respond the way I did, but I still had pretty high levels when I had them taken out. It was about a year ago
1: well, why now that it's out, and you still high levels? I can not get rid of the record
2: well, think about it it's um it gets stored, so you have to pull it out a and b you think about forty years of exposure and So there's a lot that goes into the church. So one is just the sheer amount of exposure that we've had. You know, you and I have had a lot of exposure so that you you keep storing that in your body. That's one. And the other is that detox isn't occurring in the absence of all other stressors. So yeah, I mean, if I lived in a pristine place and had more money than God and had a chef who prepared all organic, locally sourced food and lived in a house that never had any off-gassing and had pristine air quality and water quality, and all of my children were perfect angels and perfectly healthy, then maybe the detox would go a little bit faster. But but you live, we live in this earth, and I travel, so I get exposed to fumes on the plane, and uh, I live on the earth, so anytime you buy a piece of furniture or a car or a bed, you get Toxins that you get exposed to, so that we're getting, we're think of it two ways: death by a thousand cuts, or standing under this waterfall of of exposure. And so, when you do these detoxes, you're gonna pull out the, you're gonna pull out the the all the other stuff too. So it's not like you can uh, date time and date stamp it saying, okay, really only do the mercury. No, there are certainly things that preferentially treat mercury, but. Detox in general is going to improve everything, and there's only so much your body, can. so you can't do everything.
1: So how long do you think it'll take you to fully detox?
2: You know, every round, Hope Springs Eternal, every round I do it, I'm like, okay, this is the one, right? This is the one. Um, I suspect it'll be a, another year, I suspect. I'm not 100% sure. When I'm really working on, it's so easy to get pulled away and get busy, so I'm really working on making sure that I get an IV every week that preferentially binds to mercury so that I can preferentially pull it out. And by the way, every time I get an IV, my recovery shoots up too. So there's something too that. My body likes the detox. And in your uh,
1: recovery shoots up. What do you feel?
2: I just feel and like the next day I'm super energetic and my recovery is like, you know, 80s, 90s. It, my recovery is in the bright green. It's never yellow or red the next day. It's like, I, my body is like, yay, thank you. <laughs> do it again, right? So um so I would say I think it's probably another year. I mean we'll see. I work really hard on detox, and even once I'm quote unquote done, I'm probably still going to do some level of detox because again I have the worst genetics, and so and that plays a role. That plus the stress of my life plays
1: a big role. Okay, I understand. So um, are you you said your your lead is down to therapeutic levels? What does that mean? It makes I, it sound like lead is a therapy.
2: Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, Let me clarify that. So, we treat lead and mercury when they show up in the urine over a level of eight. And my lead has been under eight for a couple of rounds. So, lead is no longer, quote unquote, an issue. It's just the mercury.
1: Okay, I So, in your patients, uh, do you see lead very commonly or mercury very commonly? Or what? You said you're a toxin specialist. So, what kind of toxins do you see? Do you see like glyphosate? I mean, what? I do.
2: Yeah, I mean, so so in our practice. So just to back up one sec, Richard, I promise to answer that, but let me just set the stage because you have you have to address someone's foundations of their health. And what I mean by that is if you try to remove toxins from someone who has untreated gut dysfunction, severe adrenal fatigue, terrible nutrient status, they're gonna feel awful all the time. And you're gonna make them worse and it's gonna be ineffective. So The first step of doing someone's detox is actually normalizing their gut, their sleep, their thought patterns, their exercise, their adrenals, their energy. It's the foundations. So you can't go right into detox because you make people worse. And then they're mad at you, which is never good, right? You want to, you want to be in partnership. So step one.
1: They're more likely to give up too.
2: Yes. Totally. Totally. Because they're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I hate that doctor. She made me sick. Okay. well, fine we won't do that right so you have to make people baseline feel better and then uh in our practice we so we have a couple of different ways people can do this we have a brick and mortar it's local you have to you know you have to come meet us and that's so that's a small group of the population and then we have an online ability to do that also so we have we have two companies essentially so you can come in person or you can do it online the the in person is much more ext- extensive also much more expensive so the in-person looks at heavy metals, it looks at mycotoxins, which are the toxins mold puts out in your body when you've been exposed and it's hanging out in you. It's very creepy. We look at environmental toxins like plastics, phthalates, nail polish fumes, gasoline fumes, flame retardants, styrene. Uh, we look at all of that. It's a, it's a huge, huge test. And then we also look at herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, and that's where the glyphosate comes in. So, so it's essentially four distinct tests that we're looking at to determine what are you high in, what are your risks. And, and that's actually why we wrote the book Dirty Girl, because I had actually done my mycotoxins, remember, mold testing, right before we went on this trip to in 2019. But I, I hadn't gotten started on the results, but I had five strains Five different strains of mycotoxins from various mold exposures that I wasn't aware of at the time, and then I got this metals information, and I said, I was like, well, you know, I might as well test for environmental toxicants that that other group, and then the herbicides and pesticides, and I came up with like a whole list of environmental toxicants, and I said to my, I looked to my husband, I was like, oh, I'm such a dirty girl, and he was, and then I said, and that's the book we're writing because if if I'm like the poster child for healthy living, I've been gluten free for. I don't even know, 17 years. I don't eat processed carbs. I don't eat sugar. I don't drink alcohol. Uh, we eat super healthy. I love what I do. I have a great life. And I have all these talks. What are people who may not be as fortunate or as focused on it as I am? What do they have? So we wrote this book. That's why we wrote
1: Where is in person, by the way? And uh, virtual consult is the US or Europe or world or?
2: Yeah, great. You know, yeah, great. People come. Thank you. Okay. So our, our practice, our bricks and mortar practice is currently in. Uh, Massachusetts, and we are working on setting one up—a virtual practice in Florida, which people would be able to access. We're we're a little bit away from it; we're probably about a year from that. So the brick and mortar practice is in Florida. So that's through our practice called Five Journeys, and then our online is Dirty Girl Detox. And through Dirty Girl Detox, we have uh, an ability to test. It does. It is currently in the United States, so we we don't. um we can't ship internationally yet it's it's in the United States, so when we test people remotely when they join part of the dirty girl program it's uh, it's all remote so it's you can participate in programs we have a feel freaking amazing program it's an eight week transform your life, figure out what foods are messing you up uh we have the ability to look at everything
1: okay so your uh expensive program is you said it's an eight week program so that the virtual one but the in office is you need to set anything we a whole budget of testing. And-
2: no, sorry, so we haven't been there. So you can come to the practice and you can do the full testing, you know, head to toe. And then we have also the online program, which is the testing for some environmental toxicants, as well as online program that we you can work on. That's that's the eight week program. That's that's all online.
1: Well, okay. Um, why can't you get all the testing done? Um, not being local to you. If yeah, someone was, wants to be really extensive, can they do that?
2: Yes, mostly, sort of. So Massachusetts state law requires that if you're not in Massachusetts, you establish care face-to-face.
1: Uh, so
2: that's the wrinkle because that's a medical service, right? Like that's medical. And then the all online stuff is technically wellness-based.
1: What when I come for a first consult? Like yep. Meet me at the airport. Hey, how you doing? They get mixed there and then from then on you can help me virtually? Or Yes.
2: Yeah, we you could you totally do that. The whole
1: that. time they do the testing too.
2: No, you. it's just a literally a one visit in person so that we see face to face. You know, we, we establish care and then you can be wherever you are for your other visits. But the first visit, just per Massachusetts state law, has to be in person if you're not a Massachusetts resident. So it's a little confusing. Uh, but yeah, after that, you don't have to be in person. But the reason you have to establish care as a as a medical patient is like, I can't I can't prescribe you medication to provoke your metals if you're not a patient. Like, like That's that's practicing medicine on someone who's not a patient. That's not right. So I do need people to establish care and then we can we can test their metals in a provoked fashion. Because remember, if you just pee in a cup and send it off, that's called a baseline or a, an unprovoked test. That won't show what you really have. That's only showing what you're voluntarily getting rid of or if you had a massive exposure.
1: Well, wouldn't it be a clue? if You have high levels of X-Wires, Z? your it urine? It would. It when would, it, but you no. know they have really high levels in your body.
2: It, you know, it only shows up positive. It, Like the kids in Flint, Michigan, if you do a test on them, they're going to be positive in their urine on an unprovoked test. But the people like you and me, we're not getting... So if you... Okay, let's think about this. If you tested right after you got your mercury filling taken out, you know, within a week, you'd probably come as positive. You'd show up positive, but it doesn't tell you what's being stored in the body. And and what you really want to get to is what's hanging out in there. What and the the baseline test doesn't tell you that. Almost nobody's everyone's negative for that test because the body you know the body sequesters it. You don't have that out. You have you put that away. It's it's toxic.
1: Okay, I understand. So you need to do the provoked test. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. You're also evaluating their metabolic pathways, their ability to clear toxins. Mm-hmm. So, someone that has good pathways will they just never have the problem in the first place? They don't need you, or. Um, do people still have different levels of it? And that'll determine how long the treatment is, how many courses and overhaul.
2: Yeah, everyone's got something. It's really impossible to be alive in this universe. Now, some people have not so much, but everyone's got something. And and I think the the question is, you know, eventually it's going to catch up to you. So this comes down to what's your philosophy of life? Are you interested in waiting until you have a problem? In which case, if you're strong like a bull, you don't need, you know, you can just wait and hang
1: out. No, what what I mean is... um... You know, if I come to you and I have, let's say, high levels of, um, you know, mercury, and I have really crappy detox pathways, versus someone else comes to you, they also have high levels of mercury, but their detox pathways are pretty good. They're going to go um, faster than you. Well, so they'll just go faster. So the yeah. treatment for the slow burner is just longer, yeah. and more extensive. But that's the reason.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because your body's just like fighting it.
1: Okay. All right. I see, I see what you mean. Um, so again, what are the most common toxins that you see? Uh, women have. Again, is glyphosate one of them or is it mercury or you know, what are maybe the top three or five and I know everyone's different, but as, are there symptoms that are associated with one or the other that are distinct?
2: No. Uh yes and yes and no. So having so how you will respond to your toxic burden is dependent on your body's predispositions and the and the pathways that it tends to go down. So not everyone's gonna respond the same way. Having said that, there are some diagnoses that will cue you to, oh, something's going on. So an, an easy, low-hanging fruit one is osteoporosis. If a, if anyone has osteoporosis, there's basically two causes. A- aside from nutritional deficiency and age, l- let's set those to the side. There are two things that really promote osteoporosis. One is lead preferentially hangs out in the bone. So if you have osteoporosis, I'm very suspicious that you have lead. And the other is celiac disease because... When you have celiac disease, you don't absorb your minerals and nutrients, so you become severely nutrient deficient. So that's less common, I think, than having lead, because we all grew up with lead in the pipes. I was just hearing that schools are working on getting lead out of the pipes in the in the drinking water in the school, and you've got to be careful.
1: Well, no, not worry. They'll do it by 2080. I'm sure make Please. that makes sense.
2: I, I was like, wait, how do we still have lead in the pipes in schools?
1: Okay. Well, he was, he was in an article I just saw. This may be of interest to you and listeners. Um, They were talking about artificial turf and how a lot of schools are using that. And it has a lot of PFAS, you know, forever polyfluorinated chemicals in it. And it's making people real sick. Um, So surprise, surprise, they're switching back to grass, hopefully. But it's just yet another source of this garbage. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, the other issue is that we like... Humans like beautiful things. Now, that's not a problem, but when the beautiful thing transmits into we want a beautiful yard and we don't want a multi-faceted green grass, we want one grass, you know, like there's one grass that we want. Nature doesn't like monoculture. Nature likes diversity. So when you try to have a monoculture yard... Nature's going to be like, no, I don't think so. And you'll be like, wait, why do I have weeds? And why do I have these other crab grasses? And why do I have these other things? So humans will spray chemicals. So, you know, especially that's why it's so harmful to, well, hang out in a golf course because they spray to get that monoculture. That's the way they get the grass to look the way it looks. They spray the living daylight of it. So um, mm. it's I, yeah. bad for
1: you. Another functional guy I know that unfortunately passed away, his wife was a big golfer. And they tested her, and yeah, she had I don't know, ten or a hundred times the level of certain chemicals that come from the golf course in her, if she was there so often. So yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So the, life is It's funny. I have a family member who just bought a house on a golf course, and called me. It was like, "Wendy, I bought a house," and I'm like, "Oh, cool." Where? And they're like, "On a golf course." I'm like, "No, no." And then of course I couldn't say anything because they already bought the house. I'm not going to say something, but that's. Uh, it's, it's kind of t- it's very toxic for you because they spray to get that monoculture. So when you live in that ho- in that house, you're you're getting all of the chemicals. It does aerosolize and it does get airborne, and you do get exposed. So golf courses are massive sources, and so are farms. If you live near a farm, that's another source that you're going to get uh, glyphosate. So you had asked what are the like common things. You asked me a really nuanced question, like what are the common toxins, and then what are the symptoms. So I started by answering, okay osteoporosis is one. Um, I have hearing loss. That's a sign of um, mercury toxicity, actually, and I didn't know until after hey, I had look. the hearing loss, right? Like, who knew? I never knew. But hearing loss is a sign of mercury toxicity.
1: You make out- a bad joke. You I haven't heard anything about
2: I haven't heard anything about that. No, now, when yeah. I'm like irked at my family. I just take my hearing aids out. I'm like, I don't want to listen. I mean, I can hear without them, but it's just muted. So that's that's one. But then there's other stuff like hair loss. So many causes for hair loss. But heavy metals are absolutely one. Uh, mercury in particular will cause hair loss. Um, and Alzheimer's, dementia can be tracked back to toxins, although that's much more complex because There's multiple pathways people are going to, you need to be evaluated for to look at that. But there's a there's a lot of things. So I would say the most common toxins when we're looking at metals is lead and mercury. When we're looking at, uh, a lot of people are high for flame retardants because a lot of beds have flame retardants in them. And so people sleep on their bed, you know, eight hours a night and they get glyphosate is very common. Plastics are almost universal. Uh, gasoline fumes are pretty high. I had a patient who had the highest gasoline fume levels ever I've ever seen. Because <laughs> she didn't even leave her house. And I was like, okay, do you live near an airport? Do you live in the flight path of airplanes? She goes, yeah, actually, the flights, when they land, it sounds like they're landing on our house. I'm like, bingo. Because, you know, they're they're off-gassing as they're, as they're uh, landing.
1: So, I guess so, if you live near a major road, or, yep. you know, I don't know.
2: That's that uh, the air quality within a half mile of a major road significantly increases your risk for uh, respiratory disorders, chronic diseases because of the pollutants. And, the, you know, especially as the tires drive on the highway, yeah. they micro. Wait, did, did you say a half mile? Within a half mile, yeah.
1: yeah cities are so dense that it's, you're always within a half mile. You're within a hundred feet, a couple hundred feet of a yep. major road
2: so within a half mile of a major of a highway right so if you think of a of a major road but then also um uh the, if you're living near a commonly traveled road the tires as they drive on the road they degrade but it's not visible it's not like you can go oh there's a piece of plastic it's it's micro micro particles and those are aerosolized to breathe those so this comes down to you don't want to filter your air especially if you live near one of those sources
1: you mean you do want to filter your air or you don't want to filter your air? You
2: do. You definitely do because okay. you're going to want to filter out those particles, the pollutants. You know, do, I always say to people, do your best with the budget you have. So if you can get a tiny little air filter, cool. Bring it from room to room with you and filter the air the, for the room you're in. If you can do a higher quality, cool. Get a, a room, a, every room, get its own HEPA filter so that you're filtering out all those particles. And if you can filter for mold too, that's even better. And then, if you really can, get a whole house filter because you're going to want to filter out all the particulates and everything. That's fantastic. Do the best you can with what you have. So, if it, it, so, pick pick what you do based on your
1: budget. Uh, well, you talked about symptoms of uh, mercury and lead overexposure, but what about glyphosate? Is it different than those two, or same?
2: yeah, glyphosate's a, little, a very interesting one because glyphosate it it is a, a cancer looks like it's a cancer promoting agent specifically for like liver. Talk, uh, l- uh, lymphomas. However, glyphosate is not, except for except for the cancer thing. right? that's a, that to the side. Except for that, glyphosate is not directly harmful to our microbiome. Microbiome is the is the balance of bacteria and biota in our gut. It's not directly. It doesn't harm us. However, it does directly impact the bugs that live in our my in our gut, our microbiome. And so, what's happening is it's really interesting it doesn't impact salmonella shigella it doesn't impact the bad bacteria they do not have this pathway it's called the Shikimate pathway and glyphosate uh glyphosate interrupts their ability to make essential and um, to make amino acids which they're going to then use as the building blocks so bacteria that rely on that pathway glyphosate interrupts that path and guess what a ton of the good bacteria in our gut rely on that pathway. So it's not directly impacting us, it's, it's impacting the bacteria that live in us, and that alters the gut microbiome, and that impacts
1: but, um, us. because. But think about uh, this. So let's say I have glyphosate exposure and mercury and ladders, you, know, um, you said earlier, you don't want to treat someone that has dysbiosis for lead and mercury. So glyphosate, it sounds like, has to come first in terms of detox to even allow you Right. To be able to detox from some of this other stuff. Is that right. Clear?
2: I mean, a, a huge part of our treatment is let's let's fix your gut. We do stool testing on people in the bricks and mortar the practice. We're doing stool testing to look at do you, what is the biotic balance, what is the digestion, is there inflammation, is there infection, is there overgrowth? Like, what is going on in there? And we are fixing that. And as part of that, we look at food sensitivities. And a lot of people wind up on you know, we're saying to them, okay, wherever you are, level up meaning you don't have to be perfect, but you have to make an improvement in your food and in your intake and in your stress because it's, uh, it's like death by a thousand cuts. But if you take away a hundred of them, it will be, imp- you know, so you like you, glyphosate is pretty water soluble. It's readily excreted. That's the nice thing about glyphosate. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about glyphosate, but it is readily excreted. If you stop filling up the pump with glyphosate, you're going to be able to move it. A- so leveling up with organic, minimally processed, I mean, think about Any non-organic green, so think about your bread, your pasta, your cake, candy, cookie, all of that, it has glyphosate in it. So if you eat bread three times a day, you're getting a glyphosate. So there's a lot of easy ways to level up. Um, Oats are almost universally contaminated, especially if they're not organic. Chickpeas, legumes, wine. California's dirty little secret, which is wine is extremely dirty unless it's organic. So you're going to want to basically try to eat organic so that you're not nailing your microbiome and getting exposed to more toxins at the same time. Do your best,
1: though. So, But is there an order to your treatment, depending on what's going on with the person, or does it not matter as
2: much? Well, the the order is really get the foundations managed and then deal with the toxins. And when you deal with the toxins, the order doesn't really matter. And what I talk about with people is that the treatments do synergize. So, the you know, one treatment will help the other treat, and the other treatment will help the third treatment. Like, they all help each other, which is good. But... Sometimes that's overwhelming. For think about the treatment for the mycotoxin is binders, one to two times, a t- ideally three times a day. But I don't know anyone who could do three times a day, especially because you can't eat around it. It's painful. So I say to people, this is a slog. This is a marathon. Go for once a day, and if you do once a day every day, you're a you're an A plus. If you do it five days a week, that's an A, good because it's a slog. But then the metals is like a bunch of different binders and replacement and minerals throughout the day so it's a real pain in the body so people have a hard time doing all of these treatments at once because it's too much so I'm like just do what you can do
1: well what's it like to, what's it like to have a binder what, what do you have to do and what what is how does it make people feel like what is it, is it yeah. a pill is it like a whole bunch of powder you gotta swallow like
2: you have a bunch of options so I mean the simplest binder is fiber fiber is fantastic for the gut we use one called propyl and we it's called lean and clean it's the it's the conjac propyl man fiber And it binds to all the strains of mycotoxins, and it also helps clean up the gut from toxins, and it's a binder. So that's easy. That'll just help you be more regular. You probably won't really notice much when you take that, except like, oh, you're pooping regularly, which you should be. You should be pooping every day, if not more. So um, that's one type. Another type is one, it's a powder that's derived from a silica gel, and that's a great binder. But sometimes, every once in a while, someone will have like gut irritability from it and won't like it. Uh, Then you can do binders like I do medicinal, DMSA, which is is binds to lead and mercury as a a provoking it's a chelating uh but then even simple things like these aren't binders but you can displace heavy metals by increasing your minerals so zinc if people are zinc deficient they're going to have a hard time uh, dealing with detox the zinc is going to displace the metals and push them out of it so there's a lot of ways you but it does tend to get a little bit you know i'd say pick the biggest problem and deal with that first don't try to don't try to build everything it gets it gets to be a
1: lot so um When someone comes to you, obviously they don't come to you for, you know, minor problems. They're probably, you know, having a seriously bad time. Um, Should they expect that really it takes like a one-year commitment to see very significant results? Or is there a general thing that you can tell people that come to you to get them to be patient enough to help?
2: I love that question, actually. So I think it's a gradient. So if you're sick, you know, you're likely sick. I say to people, this is 18 to 24. But if you're what I'll call walking well, and that's the majority of our practice, like you get through your day, you hold down your job, but you get through your day and hold down your job in a way that you feel could be better. You feel your energy could be better. Your sleep could be better. Your sex drive could be better. You could lose five to 10 pounds. Like you're fine, but you're not great and you want to be great. That's anywhere from three to 12 months, depending on what's going on and how able you are to make the changes. You know, I think for women in particular, we're like the... We're the architects of our own suffering because we try to do too much, and then we're like, "Why am I suffering?" And like, that's really hard to. But if you're if you're sick because you're not eating well, then I can fix that pretty easily because you're going to see the impact within six to twelve weeks, and you be like, "Oh my gosh, wow, I feel great!" and And when you feel great, you're motivated to keep it up. So that that's a that's a huge motivator, especially if you were uncomfortable when you didn't feel. That's a, avoiding that is really people are motivated.
1: Uh, what about women that are holding on to weight? You know, they, they swear up and down, they're eating really well, but yet yeah, they just they can't are. lose, you know. So what what causes that?
2: Toxins. Because if you can't get rid of your toxins, they are stored in your fat, bones, and organs. And the body knows that if you get rid of too much fat, you're going to have this influx of toxins that you can't deal with. That's why they wound up there in the first place. You couldn't deal with them. So you stored them. Think of your fat as a storage. De- so you have things in your storage depot that are unpleasant- unsightly and downright harmful, but you can not deal with it because your liver is not optimized. Your gut's not optimized. Your adrenals are a mess. Once you deal with, I call that the trifecta, you deal with the trifecta of your health, and then you're much, much better suited to start pulling the toxins out and that moves
1: the weights step wide. Hmm. Um, okay. Well, I guess we're just about out of time. We've gone through a lot of great concepts. For people listening, You know, women obviously that uh, need this help. How do they get in contact with your office, you know, for either in-person, come visit you, or virtual? What's the details?
2: Sure. Just for the record, our practice sees men. I just don't. So we have other providers in the practice who will see men. It's not only women. It's absolutely both genders. We won't discriminate against your gender. You can come in whatever gender you are. We don't care. Okay. Uh, so our practice is five journeys. That's the brick and mortar. And then our online programs, detox-oriented work, uh, nutrition stuff. Uh, feel-freaking-amazing program, that's at dirtygirldetox.com. That's how people can get into, like, working with us as a wellness, in a wellness capacity, not medical. Mm. And would
1: you recommend that people read your book first? Totally. And maybe take a few innocent steps to help themselves before they even get to you?
2: I, I mean, I think everyone should read the book because we wrote it so that you'd have a roadmap to figure out what's going on and how do I fix it. And so there's tons of things that you can do on your own that you don't need to pay me to tell you to do. So, I mean, buy the book. That'll tell you to do it. And that you can get on the Amazon. That's super easy. So you, there's a lot of stuff that you could do to trans, to, to trans, start working on your health and transform your experience of daily life without coming to me. There's tons of stuff. So, yeah, the book will talk about how to get started. And it feels like a lot, and it is a lot. So that's why you, Rome wasn't built in a day. You will not do the whole book in a week, right? Don't try to be like, oh, I'm going to power through now. Take it slow.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Wendy, it's been a really great call. I'm glad you do what you do. And it sounds like you're able to help a lot of people. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Richard, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.